You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, the boys invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He is my work wife, James Hardigan. Good afternoon, Joseph. And sitting next to him in London, England, is my work abusive stepdad, Matt Broughton. Hello! You guys, I did something amazing yesterday. I pooped in my own toilet. <laughs> Good for you. All that training has paid off. What are you, two years old? Do you want to show us? Look, Mommy, look, Daddy, look what I did. <laughs> you guys know that coming back from the, a long-ass trip, pooping in your own toilet is like one of those joys that cannot be recreated. <laughs> Especially if you're we, in Malta, where no toilet flushes properly. Oh, dear. Exactly. So I am feeling great and two pounds lighter. We are back doing the show at an ungodly hour for the foreseeable future as the tour is on the bit of a hiatus. To be fair, it's an un- godly hour for you for us it's middle of the afternoon and there's two of us and one of you so (laughs) guess who's running the intro here in this ungodly hour so uh we're kicking things off with our special classic movie monday that's what i'm gonna call it hang on it's a wednesday yeah it's a podcast doesn't matter what day it is oh i see (laughs) make sure you listen to it on a monday for this bit to make sense classic movie monday we will be discussing the sting and let me tell you now There will be spoilers, lots of them. So tune out for that section if you do not want it. Matt, I I think we gave everyone plenty of warning. We told them we were going to be talking about this at least three or four weeks ago. And and also, sometimes spoilers can be so completely like unattached that you could hear a bunch of spoilers and still go and watch the film and go, oh, I see. You know, I I think it, it, it depends, doesn't it? I I guess what we're saying is don't let it put you off listening to the podcast because it'll be excellent content, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, so Matt's seen the movie for the first time. James rewatched it. I rewatched it. Come at me, bro. Super fan Jason Anderson. I am ready for you. Uh, I went to Wales for the first time over the weekend uh, to a wedding. I got a couple of fun stories from there. Uh, but before any of that, my name was finally mentioned in the World Series of Poker oh, well broadcast done. press release. You have arrived. It's like you're a real person in everything. They and, saved uh, the best to last. You were the last name mentioned in the press release, but I do believe that's the kind of... And Joe Stapleton as the sideline reporter. That's the kind of and credit, which is really prestigious. I'll take the and credit, but yeah. I do think it's more like, um, you know, they're just trying to sneak it in. Where, you know, like when uh, when the White House is doing a, a press briefing and then they're like, uh, and then also this horrible thing. Okay, bye, everyone. <laughs> and Joe Stapleton, Bye! <laughs> um, there has been a little bit of concern out in the Twitter sphere uh, about Matt Broughton's state of health, or should I say the maintenance of his what? operating system. Uh, Beatstalk tweeted to say, Matt, thought you were having a stroke during your hand history section <laughs> on Poker in the Ears. <laughs> yeah. I, do you know what? The funny thing is, I never make notes. Like, if I've got an anecdote to tell, I just imagine that the three of us are sitting in a bar in Deauville eating our weight in free peanuts and i'm just going to tell a story but because i wanted to get it right i wrote it down but on a really small piece of paper so my notes were so incomprehensible that it's you know one of those things where even though you know what the story is because you desperately want to follow your notes it was just a dark place i took myself to i do i do apologize i've not heard it i'm assuming it was edited to make no no, you just put thanks ever so much oh brilliant okay lovely yeah i do apologize i promise to never ever do a hand history ever again we do have a little bit of analysis though from pete blow who thinks that lanyard guy remember yeah, in the hand yeah. you talked about the board being ace nine nine eight the guy went to the lanyard pete blow's theory is maybe the villain just had an ace yeah. and needed to check if ace was high or a one <laughs> i think he's probably right and i think he's also probably right 
Yeah, either way, it's a fault. Yeah. Every I time. think we've all concurred on that one now. Um, so, Joe, what have you been up to in the last seven days? Well, I, I had a, a stand-up show, which I'm going to skip most of the details on because some fairly unpleasant things happened toward the end after the show is those, over. Those are the best sort of stories, though, Joe. Those well, are the ones we want to hear. There was a guy there who was like a huge fan, like both literally and figuratively, and he was heckling me like the entire time I was on stage, which um, it, it, he wasn't really heckling, but he was just like responding to everything. Like I was, I was like Ugh. doing a bit on Logan, and he and he'd be like, "Haven't seen it, mate." Like, and was just kind of, uh, and I, I didn't know what to do because, like, if that's what your fans do, what are your critics like? <laughs> exactly, and so like. I didn't know what to do because I don't want to embarrass him because it ruins the mood a lot of the time if like a, if a comedian goes after a heckler like even if you if you don't completely like nail it he was a big fan and then like but also if, when I ignore it like the audience knows I can hear him <laughs> yeah yeah and so when I ignore it you feel like a pussy too so I don't know it's just not great and then I had a date show up eventually and she had a really short haircut and another fan decided to like immediately make a comment about it and say she looked <laughs> like Bruno Mars and then. <laughs> Oh. I don't know if you, I don't know if you've ever like met a girl with a short haircut, but they're often quite spunky. And so um, <laughs> this girl, like, obviously was not going to just stand there and be insulted. So it was just a really she kicked him in the face with her high heels, and now he doesn't have a left eye. I mean, she uh, it almost came to that. So eventually, we just had to leave. Let's talk about something happier, which was going to Wales for the wedding. Um, you know, so apparently, I I booked. They made this wedding the same day as some massive soccer game. This was the was it the Champions League final at the yes. uh, Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. Yes, it was. Yeah, and so I thought, like, I was like, oh, maybe the game will be at noon, and then like everyone will already be there by the time I get on a train at ten thirty. No, uh, in fact, the game was at eight o'clock at night, and so the train was just absolutely full of the smelliest <laughs> people <laughs> going to see Italy versus France play. It was like a, it was like a parmesan bo fucking disaster on that train um what do you guys think the over under was on the number of times i heard the phrase sheep shagger on the (laughs) way to wales it's gotta be what like 90 yeah i I think it's gonna be early hundreds surely it's like such a low-hanging fruit joke and i did hear at least four different people say sheep shagger on the train on the way to wales um Graphical Hugh came and picked me up at the train station. Oh, bless him. He's a good guy. Yeah, he, he swung me around uh, Cardiff a little bit, showed me where they shoot Doctor Who. Um, show, Dr. Hugh. Uh, um, Just yeah, to be so clear, in case th- you don't know who Graphical Hugh is, number one, he's the guy who obviously does a lot of the graphics on the live streams, yeah. but he is also a former superfan. He's the guy who said that Tom Hanks was clean-shaven in the movie Castaway. Yes. <laughs> I, I didn't really want to bring that up again, but I just felt that context was important in He'll discussing thank you for that. He Graphical was Hugh. very proud of his record. Hugh picked me up and then took me to this old-timey pub and then like drove me all this wet- the way to this wedding, which is in the middle of nowhere. And it was my first time staying in a, like a B&B, like a country house. I was going to say, because I imagine that hotels in that part of the world, rooms must have been going at a premium rate with the football game happening. Yeah, well, we, this the wedding was far enough away that it didn't have much to do with the football. Oh, but I yes, see. Um, it was in this town that had like, you know, three or four country houses and that right. was it. Um, so I stayed in this room that had three beds in it because it was meant for like a family. And they gave me one of these old timey keys. Nice. Which I've never used before. And the thing is, I thought it was like just the kind of place where you're on the honor system because I couldn't I didn't I didn't see a keyhole. 
on the outside of the door. And so I figured, I'm like, oh, you just must leave your room open. Like, it's a country house. And I realized that there was, like, this little brass cover over the keyhole <laughs> that you have to slide forward. So, like, the first two, the first night there, like, I just slept completely in an unlocked door. <laughs> like, <laughs> left my laptop there when I went to go get a snack. Oh, you're um, just not used to the low tech. I've got visions of Joe trying to swipe this enormous brass sort of key, <laughs> yes. just swiping up and down in front of the handle, just saying, door open, door open. Yeah, welcome to 1983. <laughs> my fob isn't working. Uh, I just, I just want to say at a really lovely time at this wedding because um, it was the first time in my life not my life, but the most I'd ever seen two people who wanted to be married so badly. Like they were so happy. The look on his face when he saw her uh, start walking down the aisle, it was really touching. I don't know. Like I've seen people getting happily married before. I've never seen anything like this. These two are amazing. And they made me feel really special the entire time because they were constantly mentioning me in the speeches because the reason why they met is because when I first moved to London, I didn't have a ton of friends. I had tickets to see Beyonce and I decided to ask my trainer if he wanted to go and like be my wingman at this Beyonce con concert. We tried to pick up girls and four years later this weekend, he married the girl that he met at the concert that day. Wow. Oh, that's oh, a lovely that's a, story. A beautiful story. Yeah. Uh, talking of stories, we have poker news to talk about people. What's going on in poker today? Now it is time for Poker in the Is News. And a bit of breaking news, although realising this is a podcast, by the time you hear this, this event will probably be over. Daniel Negreanu is heads up for a World Series bracelet in the Omaha 8 Championship. Uh, he says it's his best World Series start in ages because... Playing for the bracelet in this event, and I believe they finished and will come back the next day to play out the heads up. He also came third in the 10K tag team event, an event that was won by Liv Bury and Igor Kurganov from Team Woo! Pro. Wow. So Liv Gore. Bracelets for Liv and Igor, and almost a bracelet for Elke, who continues his resurgence, continues to make deep runs in tournaments, straight off the back of making the last two tables in Sochi. He came second in the 111k one-drop high roller for more than $2 million. I think it's his biggest score for nearly a decade. Uh, but no, sadly didn't claim the gold bracelet. That was won by Doug Polk. But yeah, great results, early doors for Liv and Igor and for the Elkster. So you got to be, um, you know, Elke, I'm sure, is like a little gutted to, you know, have a runner-up finish. But if you're going to have a runner-up finish, why not one that's worth two fucking million? Holy <laughs> shit. That's got to take the pressure off a little bit. Yeah. Good point. Well made. Well, the man who covered both those stories for the PokerStars blog is the guy who's been writing about the World Series of Poker since 2005. And I'm very happy to say we have got him on this week's show. He is this week's guest. We welcome Brad Willis to Poker in the Ears. Hello, Brad. Good evening, morning, afternoon, wherever you are. Gentlemen. How are you? <laughs> I think it's uh, afternoon for two of us and morning for two of you. Um, I did say this to you, Brad, when I approached you about being on the show. I can't believe that we've recorded 90 episodes and haven't had you on yet, if for no other reason that you have one of the best voices known to man. <laughs> Oh, you say that to all the girls, don't you? <laughs> Brad, Brad feels like he was like one 
high school poetry teacher away from being like a, a baseball coach the rest of his life. Like you were like I one did. teacher that inspired you because that boy is going to be like, all right, come on now. Come on now. No, no batter. No batter. <laughs> <laughs> it's a story of my life right there. Now, of course, at this time of year, as the World Series is well and truly getting underway, everyone's doing their kind of like World Series preview shows and they're speaking to someone on the ground in Vegas. And because we like to be different, I thought, let's speak to the guy who's not actually going to Vegas this year because you are taking a year off. Congratulations. So what, you did like 11, 12 years in a row? Yeah, I mean, imagine imagine this scenario. Uh, you're a new father, and uh, the very first summer that uh, you have a child, you get shipped off to Las Vegas, and you spend uh, a majority of your summer there. And you're like, then, oh, my God, thank you so much. Yeah, I get out of this. This is wonderful. <laughs> so leave it at home with mom. And then you have another kid, and you still haven't spent a summer home with your kids. And then uh, 12 years pass, and you're like, oh. I probably need to spend some time with my family. I have and, how many uh, children? <laughs> yeah, have, and, and, and whose are they? Uh, so anyway, I decided this year that uh, for the first time ever, uh, I was going to spend some time at home. And uh, it's a good thing I did. I've got uh, a, lot of, a lot of fun things planned with the family. But at the same time, we'll be keeping a very close eye on what's happening out in the desert. So who will be replacing you? Who have you dispatched from Team Blog? Well, we have two of the absolute best going out there. We have uh, Howard Swain's people to replace you. Oh no, there's there's you know what? Over the course of the years, uh, it started off with just me for a few weeks in 2005, and we added a whole bunch of people toward the main event. Uh, James was actually one of those people. Yeah. And uh, uh, then the next year, there was an arms race uh, between us and another company to have the biggest team there. So we had something like 12 <laughs> or 15 play, uh, Poker Stars blog writers uh, back then uh, in 2006. And then over the years, it's been uh, a few uh, a few different changes, but uh, there, there's always been at least a couple of us there. And last year, Howard Swains and I were there together. And this year, it's going to be Howard Swains, who everybody who listens to this podcast already knows from the Poker Stars blog, as well as uh, the famous and infamous uh, Martin Harris. Acclaimed author. Uh, I'm reading Martin's book right now. It's a great I know, book. I know it should only take an afternoon, but I'm a little slow. Hey, you know what? He, he's written a great book. I'm a, M Martin is one of these uh, jack jacks of all trade, I guess is how it works. Uh, he, he can do just about anything and do most of it pretty well. As you mentioned, Brad, I was with you back in 2005, and indeed Howard was part of that team as well. Those right, were those right. those were when we were all kind of all kind of like doughy-eyed and so excited to be inside the Rio covering this major tournament. How many years did it take before the appeal had worn off? I think I almost got divorced in 2007, so uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, call it. It, we'll call it three. Uh, <laughs> you know, 2005 was fun because it was the very first time we were out there. You know, we had a very small media room that was about as big as a closet. Uh, a lot of the uh, European guys were bringing booze into the media room, and so it was a big party that entire year. 2006 got really, really hectic during the arms race period, and by 2007, uh, things started to shift just a little bit. You know, we'd had UIGEA come in, and things were changing, and 2007 was the first year i thought oh man i'm getting a little bit old and then last year i looked out from my window and thought i'm not just getting old i am old <laughs> <laughs> um can you even put into words how different it is covering the world series to any other live event because of course with the blog you've been everywhere you've been on the lapt you've been on the ept you've been on the pokestars championship but the world series there's something unique about it 
you know, there's a certain gravity, I think, to the World Series that uh, no matter where else you go, you don't feel that same gravity because no matter how big a tour you put together, no matter how prestigious it can be, and we all know, you know, the prestigious tours that, you know, we've all been to, but uh, there's some, there's, there's a gravity about the World Series that it means something that, that whether, you know, there are a lot more bracelets these days, I know, but still getting a bracelet means something to people. And when you get out there and you're in that environment to where it's not just, you know, four or 500 people competing for a tournament, but you have thousands of people around you nonstop for weeks at a time, uh, it means something. It's not, it's not just summer camp and it's not just another poker tournament. It's, uh, it, it, it feels bigger for some reason. Do you think it's also kind of wacky um, and makes it a little bit more weird and eclectic? Well, not necessarily eclectic because it's just full of crazy Americans. You know what? You get the entire breadth of the American uh, lifestyle when you're out there. I mean, not only do you get the the, the really good people that you, you enjoy spending time with, but you get, you know, you get some of the worst too, and you see the best and worst of humanity all in one place. And you get, and it could be sitting on either side of you. You know, you could be in the four seat and you could have a, a teacher uh, who has influenced the lives of thousands of students uh, on your right in the three seat, and you could have a complete degenerate on your left and uh, be competing against both of them. You know, it's, it's the American experience all in one. Yeah, it's such an interesting cross-section of people that show up. Now, Brad, I imagine it's not all work when you're in Vegas over the summer covering the World Series. And I imagine along the way there have been some highlights and some lowlights from your downtime in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> the world weary sigh of Brad Wallace, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you know, that, there were the things that I was very, very proud of at one point in my life that I look back on now and I think, oh man, I did that. And like, uh, I, for a very long period of time, uh, 2006 or seven or so, I couldn't walk through the halls of the Rio without everyone pointing at me and saying, that's the Kino Crayon guy, because I was on video on YouTube uh, in a small viral video uh, eating two Kino crayons for $400. Really bad, bad <laughs> oh my God, my gal. career got started by a prop bet at the World Series also. It doesn't, isn't it funny how that goes? You know, you embarrass yourself, you humiliate yourself in front of the world and, uh, you know, you have to digest two Kino crayons that probably had bird flu on them and uh, and next thing you know, you know, you're working for another 12 years. <laughs> After that, Brad was promoted to head of blogging at PokerStars. Um I mean, I remember some of those cr crazy nights as well, and it's obviously just out playing poker, places like Excalibur with dirty chips and cards that stick together. <laughs> I distinctly remember a late-night crap session, Brad, with a guy who looked like Jesus who rolled 14 passes in a row. One of the best nights of my life. <laughs> One of the best <laughs> nights of my life. You know, God, that, where was that? I think it was at the Mirage, It maybe? was at the or, Mirage, yeah. Yeah, at the Mirage, you know. And, you know, you get into these games, you know, just prior to that craps game, we'd been over betting on um, small dog races, you know, where they race the Pomeranians <laughs> and they hop over things. <laughs> oh Comple God. Completely understanding that it had been pre-recorded and, on, you know, on television for weeks. But we'd been over in the lounge, you know, betting on these dog races. And then we end up at a craps game where it didn't matter how much money we won or lost. And then there was a guy who who might have been Jesus rolling. I mean, not, nobody but Jesus rolls that well. <laughs> uh, look, I, gotta, I, I we can't do that anymore, though, right? Like, I haven't felt like I've been able to have nights like that anymore. I guess partly because like we're older now, but yes. also like, didn't everything get a lot more serious? Like everyone, everyone's jobs are so much more important now. Like the first time I was ever on camera at the World Series. I'd be on camera at 11 a.m. I, I rolled out of a strip club at 10:15 in the morning. <laughs> you can see 
a sparkle. You could have seen glitter on my face in the video, like from where I was getting like whatever glitter rubbed on me for whatever body part. And I would never do that now. I just like everything's way too important. You know, I, you, know, you always look at yourself and you look back and, you know, you can go on, you can go on to Facebook and just look at pictures of you on Facebook and scroll back through the years. And I can, I can see myself like, you know, in 2005, 2006, 2007, whatever, with those, those bright, wonderful, happy, but very, very drunk eyes. Um, and then over the years, those eyes slowly either grow more tired or more sober, depending on <laughs> you know, depending on you know what, right. what kind of night I've had. And uh, no, I just it, that's sort of the, you know one of the reasons I'm taking a year off is just not necessarily because I'm a party guy anymore, but just because I can't be a party guy anymore. And the job is really really important. I know I look at my bosses, and you know they they expect things, and I expect things from the people who work with and for me. And you know. I don't know. I mean, I guess back at the beginning, it was it was a lot like summer camp for all of us. And these days, it's it's a job. How did you fall into this crazy business, Brad? Because I'm always interested in how people end up in the poker industry. Uh, wh- what was your deal? Where did you come from? You know what? I've told this story a couple of times to some folks, but back in 2004, th- 2003, 2004, I was playing a lot. I was playing online. I was playing in local games uh, uh, in America. And I, but at the same time, I was a tel- television news reporter and I couldn't talk about my poker exploits publicly. So on I wrote. Camera? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was off on the side of the road. There's a dead guy over here. There's a dead guy over there. The guy that killed him is behind me. We got to get that fucking tape. <laughs> oh, it's out there somewhere, man. It's You're like there. in a big Ron Burgundy 70s suit by any chance. I, I, you know, I should have. I, I actually saw a picture of myself the other day, and I was wearing a double-breasted suit, and no one should ever do that, but especially <laughs> me. Especially me. <laughs> So I was doing that, and I was writing on a on a blog that we'd started up, uh, writing under a pseudonym at the time, and uh, I had written a whole bunch of stuff. And Poker Stars was looking for somebody to write uh, about the uh, Poker Stars Caribbean adventure for the very first one that was going to be at Atlantis, and they asked actor, writer, uh, nerd extraordinaire uh, Will Wheaton, and because he was really big into poker at the time. And uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, he had been reading the stuff that I'd been writing. And he said, I don't have the time to do it, but check out this other guy. And so they called me up and I went down to the Bahamas. And at the end of that week, uh, I saw a bunch of the big wigs uh, sort of huddled up in the corner looking at me. And they pulled me over and they said, how would you like to do this for the rest of your life? And actually, they said, how would you like to do this for a living? And uh, two weeks later, I was in Copenhagen, Denmark. And that was the birth of the PokerStars blog, I guess. Yeah, about uh, I at, at the very at the very first PokerStars didn't really know what a blog was or even want a blog. They wanted a a, a newsletter that we could email out to everybody, uh, which seemed at, even at that point pretty archaic to me. And so I fought for them to start a blog, which these days sounds pretty archaic. But in 2005, it's it was a big deal, and so we convinced them to do it. And I got together with the then marketing guy at the time, Dan Goldman, and I suggested some fruity name for the thing, and he said, "No, we're going to call it the PokerStars blog." And I said, "All right, we're going to call it the." Poker Stars blog, <laughs> and uh, in April of 2005, we started up the Poker Stars blog, and uh, uh, you know, two months later, I was at the World Series. I mean, I remember meeting you around that time at the EPT in Deauville, and I think you were like the only person covering the tournament, wandering around with a laptop, desperately looking for a power socket and an internet connection. 
Yeah, at that time, you know, there were no media rooms, there were no media passes. There, there was, you know, a guy, you know, who was trying to find a place to sit. You know, in Austria that year, uh, my my fondest memory of being in Austria was the card club actually abutted a a brothel, and uh, it was a brothel that had all kinds of bumping music in it. So I would sit up against this wall because it was the only place I could find to plug in my laptop. And on the other side of the wall was like dance music and well, brothel like <laughs> brothel activities. <laughs> Uh, I got my uh, my first year, Brad was 2005, and I was doing a different blog. And this guy comes up to our table because we were the only ones that actually had a table. Uh, this guy Dewey Tomko, he comes up and he goes, "Hey, I want to deposit some money on your poker site." And we go, uh, "Well, we're actually just uh, bloggers. We don't have a poker site." He goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, but let me deposit some money." <laughs> and we were like, "It's really not that kind of site." He goes, "Yeah, well, I'm gonna go find your boss. I bet he'll." I bet he'll make you put money on the site <laughs> and then went running off. And that's everybody how, wanted to give their money away. Yeah, but that's how that's how strange it was to have media. We were like, we're actually media, sir. He had no fucking clue what that was. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I'm sure all the guys who are in, and ladies who are working in the media these days would be surprised to know that back then in, in 2005 and six. Players would try to tip out to the people who were writing about them. Um, there, there was more than a couple times back then. Very tipped. Uh, the, the, everybody in the media, five hundred bucks one time. I wasn't working that gig, but he did that once. I remember Barry did it. Um, uh, Isabel Mercier was doing it back then. Um, you know, people at the time it was so weird to have you know writers there other than you know the the couple that they had known uh, during their careers, and now all of a sudden there's people there writing about them nonstop, and they figured, well, we should tip out to them too. So obviously the PokerStars blog has grown over the years, Brad, into what it is now. I imagine it's been, to a certain degree, fun and and a sense of pride in watching it grow. But I guess also, are you more detached now? Are you kind of less on the front line and you've now got writers working for you? And it's less all about your content, I guess, and more about you looking over the overall editorial picture. You know, uh, things have changed a lot, uh, both for the blog and for me over the course of the last you know, 12 years or so. Uh, and there's been a lot of reasons for that. One, we were forced to grow uh, because of, you know, the growth of the tours and the growth of poker. And we, uh, you know, we it, I couldn't go everywhere. And so we continue. We hired more people. You know, Howard has been with us for years. Stephen Bartley has been with us for years. And our team continued to grow so we could get everywhere. And as a result, that's, you know, made for a much bigger estate. We, you know, we have, you know, many, many different languages that we publish in and we we are in different, a lot of different places. And that's resulted in a lot more work for me on the uh, the administration side where I'm making sure, you know, people are getting where they need to be, making sure that they get home from where they need to be. And, uh, you know, there are. I certainly don't miss being away from my family as much as I used to be. But at the same time, I do miss knowing everything because back then, you know, you knew every player, you knew every one of their results. And these days, you know, uh, I, it's not not uncommon for me to have to hop on Hinden Mob real quick and just check and see who the hell is this guy because I've never heard of him before. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also that guy that you've never heard of is incredibly successful. And it's just because oh, yeah. we can't keep track of everyone. <laughs> yeah, he, he won $4 million in three bracelets. Who? Yeah. <laughs> Talking of missing things, Brad, do you ever miss traditional journalism? I'm thinking particularly in the last 12 months with everything going on in the world, particularly in your country. Do you sometimes think, I wish I could be a part of this again? You know, I, I, I think about that more often than I probably should simply because, you know, it was what I was trained to do. I spent, you know, several years in college and then 10 years working as a traditional journalist. And, and I felt like I did a lot of good and, and, 
at the time, I actually did a lot of po- political work um, toward the end of my TV career. And I I look now and while I still love poker and I still love being around it, um, you know, there's a certain meaning uh that the real world has that I would like to be a part of as well. And so I do miss some of that sometimes, but, uh, fortunately, uh, I still every once in a while take the opportunity uh, and just do a little bit of freelance writing on the side. Um, that's not necessarily political, but, uh, about things that aren't poker that, uh, scratches that itch. Well, Brad, I don't know if you're aware, but it's impossible to come on this podcast as a guest and not be coerced slash forced slash strong armed <laughs> into playing one of Joe's amazing quizzes. Uh, Mr. Stapleton, what have you got prepared for our guest, Brad Willis? Today we're playing a game called What You Talking About, Willis? Oh, of course we are. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to read you a selection of your own tweets, and you have to tell me what you talking about, Willis. Oh, no. All right. (laughs) So I went back in your tweets. uh, Any of these could have gone back anytime in the last year, okay? I'm quizzing you on your own tweets. You said this feels like sucker punching an actuary. What you talking about, Willis? Oh, damn. I wish I could remember. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I was probably drinking. It was making it to your next birthday. It felt like sucker punching an oh, actuary. Oh, yeah. Congratulations, me. I'm still, get- still alive. <laughs> Question number two. You recently talked about going down a particular rabbit hole on the internet. What you talking about, Willis? Mm, let's see. Could it have been, I don't know, barbecue smoking? No. We're looking for when Brad, other Brad Willis followed you on Instagram. You went oh, down a Brad a... Willis rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> you guys look that guy up. He's some like 17-year-old British bodybuilder who's all bronzed. You know, look that guy up. He, he's a better Brad Willis than I am. <laughs> Sounds like a rabbit hole and it... Uh, probably a long afternoon for me anyway <laughs> uh question number three uh let's see you you tweeted trying failing to ignore the symbolism of spending half my day futilely searching for the right blank what you talk about willis this is really embarrassing <laughs> i don't remember what you tell me we were looking for spark plug searching for the right spark plug yeah, have you ever tried to start a chainsaw that doesn't have a damn spark plug in it? <laughs> I've never it, tried it, it, to start a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's I mean, it's like it's like you know Stapleton spinning a long afternoon. Your arm hurts at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question number four. Yes, this is a quote by you from one of your tweets. See, son, they call it golf ball size because it makes your entire car look like a golf ball. It's science. What you talk about, Willis? That was the worst damn hailstorm I've ever seen in my life. For yes. 90, 90 straight minutes, we had golf ball size hail hitting our house. In fact, I still have contractors coming to my house two months later to fix things. <laughs> You're on the board, at least. That's the Thank one God. positive to take away from that hailstorm. Two more to go. You can still come out the winner if you hole out. Question number five, you tweeted, 47 hours later, the blank has been recovered. Signs of life remain. Our community is jubilant and blessed. What you talk about, Willis? Uh, maybe a Lego minifigure that we shot up on a fireworks rocket? No, no. Apparently you were talking about a jalapeno. Oh, God, yeah. 
That was a bad day. That was a bad day. Brad, your tweets yeah, I, are coming across as really random. You know what? Live my life, James Hardigan. Live my life. <laughs> and finally, to save some face, if you have seen season three, episode two, this is me screaming, stop, stop, stop. What you talk about, Willis? That was Black Mirror. I remember that way too well. There we go. Black Mirror and Black Mirror, Mirror spoilers. Uh, Brad, I like that you seem to have as little recollection of your own life as I do about mine. You know what? It's uh, I, I wish I had more, and I'm still looking for that uh, that moment of clarity that they talk about. <laughs> it has to. I'm sure it has a lot to do, like me, with bourbon. Exactly. <laughs> you know all too well, friend. Brad, thank you so much for coming on the show, and obviously we encourage everyone listening to keep reading your words at thepokestarsblog.com. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Have a good day. Well, this music is a rendition of The Entertainer by Scott Joplin, not quite the same as Marvin Hamlish's arrangement, which forms the opening titles of The Sting, 1973, the movie we will now be discussing on Poker in the Years. This is a classic. It's the reunion after Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid of director George Roy Hill with stars Paul Newman and Robert Redford. It won multiple Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Joe, you've named it as one of your favorite films of all time. Yes, it is one of my favorites of all time. I love the uh, royalty-free entertainer, by the way. Uh, it, it is one of my favorites of all time. But, James, you set it up as being like the return of this and this director, that, blah, blah, blah. I didn't know any of that about this movie. It's just a fucking awesome movie. It is. Well, you and I think it is, but bear in mind that we grew up with this film. Matt somehow, through his life, has escaped seeing The Sting until now. So really, what we need to open this section of the show is the first time review of Matt Broughton of The Sting. It was really good. Oh, oh thank yeah. God. No, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was quite interesting for me, obviously, having never seen it before. And also... Uh, what was it, 1973? Yeah. I think it, it can only have aged very well, having never seen it before, because I didn't watch it thinking, oh, here we go, some old film, a bit clunky, bit you know, bit dodgy. Well, it's helpful, right, that it's an old movie, but it's about an even older era, so it, yes. it ages fine. Exactly, but you know what I mean? I mean, this is going to... Do you know what? I'm really playing with fire here, but the morning that I watched The Sting, I watched James Bond, The Living Daylights, <laughs> and that was so shit. And I'm sorry, but it was so shit. And it wasn't, it was like everything looked dreadful. The dialogue was just painful. Some of the acting was like children's film foundation stuff. There was some stuff I liked in it. We'll come back to that. It's a different discussion. So it was really pleasing to watch a much more, a much older film. But just everything was so much better. The pacing and the dialogue. And actually, I was really impressed. Like Paul Newman, like sitting him next to Robert Redford made Robert Redford look quite, quite clunky as much as i really enjoyed robert redford yeah no you realize what redford's not fantastic in the movie he's like just okay and it makes you realize how good paul newman is in especially in that environment i had two i had two problems neither of which are the fault of the film the first Uh problem i had is because of us now being like 
Ocean Eleven, Twelve, Thirteen, Fourteen, yes, and this, Seventeen this, out. That's what I was going to ask you. Is that like the you know F- we've grown up with con movies, right? Our yeah. whole lives. So uh, as soon and- as the FBI thing came in, I immediately just I didn't even have to think about it. I knew this was going to turn out to be a twist, and that's a real shame because I would have loved to have been surprised by that. Yeah. In the way I guess most people watching it for the first time would. And in fact, James Ray kind of lent me the the Blu-ray, and there was some great features on it that I also watched just generally about Universal Pictures and, and bits and bobs. And there was a kind of an interview with the writer saying, you know, as soon as I nailed that bit with the FBI, I thought we're going to get to sting the audience. And I thought, I wish I'd been an audience naive enough to actually enjoy it. As much as I did enjoy it, it was kind of telegraphed to me. The other real problem I had with it, and it's funny that we start this off by playing the entertainer, because for me, the entertainer is ruined by Family Guy, where Herbert the pervert quite often goes... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey Jesse, you okay, boys? And every guys, time that's Matt doing the noise, by the way, that's that... not a sound clip. That's very good. <laughs> Thank Matt. you. But every time it came on, or anything, any of that ragtime stuff came on, my missus just looked at me and went, <laughs> and I was like, you can't do that every time. You're ruining. You're ruining the vibe. But no, in, in all in all seriousness, I thought it's great. I thought. There was no point I thought this has gone on too long, this is not big enough, this character is rubbish. This I love the whole setup. And also, I, I guess it's kind of like whenever you watch a film that clearly is the inspiration for more modern films, you realise how many more recent heist setup yes. films. The whole bit of hiring the, the space and filling it up and having all these extras and the logistics. Casting logistic, all the extras. Just, and... just really, really lovely stuff. And the casting across the board. I mean, obviously, if you look at the three leads, so we talked about Redford and Newman and what a great villain in Robert Shaw who was such a great actor and to me this is one of the three films that he made in his career which actually four if I think of also A Man for All Seasons from Russia With Love where he was the Bond villain and also Jaws of course I mean you know a great talent and just so menacing without doing that much and this is a piece of trivia I can reveal that is not in the subsequent Superfan quiz. <laughs> Did you know that the limp was improvised? That he actually injured his knee prior to shooting and was struggling to walk, so he thought, I'm giving the character of Dol Lonergan a limp. And Why not? Bizarrely, that almost adds something to the character, the way when he's in a hurry, the way he moves menacingly, dragging that leg behind him. Yeah. No, I I, I have nothing really negative to say about it at all. I... I... I, there wasn't a bit of it I thought was ridiculous or annoyed me. Oh, apart from one point, there was a waitress who had five bottles on a on a on a tray that were clearly like glued to it Empty, because she yeah. was moving. It. And then she put it down on a bar and said, "Yeah, set me up with another five And then seconds later, picked up the same tray with her bottle stuck to it and walked off down the corridor. <laughs> Other than that, nothing nothing spoiled it for me. I think you hit the nail on the head though, Joe, because it is a period piece because it's set in the 1930s. It doesn't matter when it was made because it's dated quite well. The one thing watching it again, and I appreciate that this was a deliberate decision to emulate cinema of the 1930s, I did find the wipes became really annoying. Oh, it's funny. Do you know what? The problem is, because of the Superfan versus tapes, my brain was really logging. That was, uh, that was. he thought he'd made five grand, but it was 11 grand. Like my brain was throwing <laughs> things. And also I made a note of how many times it went from left to wipe with the, with the screen wipe. And right, I was Jesus. like, I sort of became like logging all these George Lucas like little wipes and fades but uh, I noticed it but probably just because I was storing facts also the tomato ketchup blood was just a little bit it was a little bit too too tomato ketchup but it was ketchup. supposed to be fake blood 
No, there were also times where someone had genuinely been punched in the mouth and was suddenly wiping away tomato ketchup. There are some genuine deaths in this movie, uh, right. not just the fake ones at the end. I Watching it again, obviously, I, I still love the movie. I do think it's quite interesting, and I don't think a Hollywood studio would necessarily allow this now. The, the dialogue is actually sometimes quite hard to penetrate. They obviously talk very much of the period, but also the slang, the parlance they use, the, the kind of the grifter's code means, you know, the audience has to do a lot of working stuff out for themselves. And I, you know, I, I wonder now whether they would be so happy in a big budget movie to do that. I guess so. But then again, see, you're saying that to me and I hadn't even thought about that time because I've seen so many films of that ilk and we kind of immerse ourselves in those those terminologies are what you're meant to get off on, isn't it? It's like that's, you know, ordinary, you're learning yeah. it. Like when Ocean's Eleven set up some huge job and they're dropping in all the different elements and giving them the names and you think, well, I don't know what you're talking about, but I, but I understand what I meant to take from it. Um, but no, it didn't, it didn't stick in my throat at all, I must say. Yeah, I think... Um if there's one scene that we should probably pour over, and just to be clear, this is a film in which the two grifters, uh, Robert Redford and Paul Newman, join forces to basically sting Dole Lonergan, this big gangster played by Robert Shaw. And at the beginning, where they kind of, the hook, as it were, how they try and kind of get him to start with is at this poker game, which yeah. takes place on a train. And this is the scene I want to talk about because that's one of the things that drew us to this film in the first place to discuss on the show is there is gambling in this in this film and there well, is a poker always, scene. There's always that debate, like when they say, uh, is a hot dog a sandwich, right? You know, you guys have heard that one before. Yeah. Like one of those things that has no answer to it. Uh, is this thing a poker movie is like one of those things that always comes up uh, because there's that one poker scene in it. So people always want to include it. Um, obviously, we all agree. Not a poker movie. Uh, this is actually really cool to watch. So I watched this with a girl who had never seen it, also who was like interested in poker, and she was like, "Oh, is this the kind of poker <laughs> you do commentary on?" Draw, I like, I'll take two cards, please. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the reason why I want to talk about the poker scene is because if you are an absolute poker nerd, aficionado, one of those people who's going to go, uh, "Excuse me, uh, it's not your turn to act." There is all manner of stuff wrong with this scene. A lot of I pot mean, splashing. You've a got lot of pot splashing. splashing. You've got people string betting. There's so much seeing and raising, it's unbelievable. But also under raising. It's like, I bet 500. Well, I'll see your 500 and raise 300. And it's like, <laughs> no, you can't do that. But you know what? Who gives a fuck? None of that matters because no. it is such a great scene. And it's a great scene for one reason and one reason alone. And that is Paul Newman playing Henry Gondorf, playing this drunk bookie called Shaw who plays it perfectly as the drunk bad winner who insults everyone as he laughs and grimaces as he rakes in pot <laughs> after pot after pot uh yes I agree there was something in the earlier part of that that I was gonna say and I forgot I was like eh give me one <laughs> second and I'm sure it'll come to me uh yeah the, the scene is so good like that I don't I don't care about any of that stupid stuff that they're doing and I also can't you kind of like suspend disbelief a little bit and think that maybe the game really did go like that? Like uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. And also I think you're right is I think whenever you see like any kind of poker scene is that the, the, the mechanics of it are never as important to me as my overall sense of it. Like, do I, does this feel super contrived and stupid where he's got the full house and I've got the flush, but he's got the better flush, but he's got the raw flush. And we know that, as as anyone that has anything to do with poker, it is hours of boredom. 
broken up by moments of sheer terror. So the thing is, I don't want a realistic portrayal of poker because I got enough of that in my life. And mostly it's sitting around waiting for a car crash. So I always think it's the environment and the banter. And do you know, it's that side of it that actually I think is the more... The, the more easily judged part of anyone trying to show you what a poker game is like. And I thought that was brilliant. As you say, the bad loser going, oh, I'm sorry about that, <laughs> and dragging in the chips and everyone kind of hating him and saying, nice hand. It's the running gag as well where he continuously mispronounces Lonergan's name. Yes. Which is just tilting him beyond belief and the point where he goes, oh, bad luck, Lonergan, but that's what you get for playing with your head up your ass. And it's yeah. just like, oh my God, he's going to get punched. And, and again, it's only a little bit of setup, but when the guy comes in and says, I found out the kind of cards he likes to use so these are the cards you're going to take and just when Lonergan thinks I've totally set this guy up I'm going to give him a monster hand but I'm going to give myself the better monster hand and of course out of nowhere he just produces these cards and it's great because Lonergan can't say well you've cheated you should have this card because then it it reveals his cheat, and I, ju- I just thought that was excellent. And as if it's the best scene in the movie, yeah, for it sure. is. Because just when you think that is the kind of conclusion of the scene, then comes the point where he realizes he can't pay his debt because his wallet's been lifted. And Paul Newman then goes, "What are you doing? When you come to a game like this, you've got to have money," and shows him his own money. Exactly. And then there's the is- callback to that. Sorry, in the sports book, when the guy when Lonergan comes in to make his bet, and he's like, "Yeah, make sure he pays. This guy's got a bit of history." And you think, <laughs> "Oh, it's so good." It- this is ultimately what I love the most about this movie is that scene, the hook scene, is probably the climax of many other movies. And this was only when you realize, I mean, obviously the movie's really short and you go, holy shit, this isn't even really the thing. Yeah. They're only doing this so they can really fucking nail them later. And then you're like <laughs> wringing your hands and excited the whole rest of the movie. Agreed. Yes, and then of course comes the big con itself, setting up the sports book, the whole thing with the wire, etc. And then of course that kind of concluding scene. And again, I love the fact that it pretty much ends. That we've had the kind of the sting. We've had the the reveal that the FBI are actually in on the whole thing. That it's not just Lonergan who's been fooled, but it's also Snyder, the crooked detective as well. And then... That's pretty much the end of the movie. Yeah. We don't need to follow the characters. We don't need any kind of like emotional payoff. There's now, literally... hold on a second. The fountain scene was pretty good in Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> That's exactly what was going through my head. I mean, I didn't mind it, but also there is a point where you go, do you know, if you've got a good story, tell the story, get out of town, give me back 30 minutes of my life. But I, I know what you're saying, Joey. Now, when we said we were going to be doing this retrospective review of The Sting, or in Matt's case, a first-time review, we did invite the audience to join in as well. I know that uh, Todd Nysoff was quite excited about this week's podcast because he tweeted, The Sting is one of my all-time favourite movies. Looking forward to the discussion. And that is literally the only tweet we received. <laughs> and I really hope that people were not put off watching this movie because they thought... Oh, it's some old film made in the 70s, set in the 30s. Why would I want to watch that? Um, Because, you know, that kind of stuff riles me anyway. And it is a great movie and it is worth watching. But all I will say is that next week we are going to be discussing a more modern movie. We're going to be revisiting... Casino Royale, the James Bond film from 2006. Which Daniel- matches, re- matches reference when he was talking about a crappy poker scene in a movie. You were definitely <laughs> talking about Casino Royale. Yeah, I might, I, I might have been. Although I should say, Joe, is that I had a conversation with James before and said, by the way, do you you want me to put to the questions together for Super Fan? He was like, no. No, 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 no. no, no, no. <laughs> and, and the funny thing was, he was like, I, I just don't think I could hand over control of something as important as Bond to you. <laughs> and I was like, I was slightly gutted because I was going to put the questions together, but just get some of the details slightly wrong. Exactly. <laughs> just, just I know see. you too well. I know exactly the kind of tricks you would try to play. And I would have I had your back. I'd be like, James, I distinctly remember... <laughs> 
<laughs> it was he was driving a Peugeot. <laughs> the problem is, Joe, any sentence from you that begins I distinctly remember can clearly be <laughs> sniffed out as a bluff. Point That's being true. that I imagine that many people who listen to this show remember the movie anyway and don't need to rewatch it. But hopefully, if you haven't seen it, maybe they'll be more enthused about the idea of watching a movie with A, more poker in it, that B, is more modern, and C, has a lot more action in it as well. Yeah, and I'm assuming that probably all over the internet, you, even if you just wanted to isolate the poker game, element of Casino Royale I'm sure that's very easily reviewable even if you don't fancy the whole film from start to finish can I make up one more point about the sting before, of uh, before we move on mm. well I think that this is really important this um this explains why it's really important to show your kids or to show people movies at a young age um like I'm guilty of it myself right there's some classics I haven't seen that probably would become better as a young person something like star wars because when you grow up with a whole lifetime of con movies and then you go back and watch one of the first ones it does sort of take away from it a little bit and i'm really grateful that my parents showed me this movie when i was like 10 or 11 years old um partially because it's like there's almost nothing objectionable in it for uh, for a kid to watch um, but also, like, I'm just really glad I saw it. it. Was the first con movie I saw, so I got to compare every other con movie to this rather than this to every other con movie. Yeah, I certainly recommend seeking it out. I hope we haven't spoiled it in our discussion just now. If you haven't seen it before, maybe it's actually inspired you to uh, to track it down. Now, obviously, during this review, I had to hold back to a certain degree because the sting is the subject of this week's super fan quiz. Super fan. Versus states. So obviously we invited the audience to apply to be this week's Sting Superfan. We had three applications. I decided to approach the Superfans in chronological order. In other words, who got in first. Unfortunately, Kev, the first person I went to, never got back to me or didn't get back to me in time. I gave him 24 hours. Next man up, Jason Anderson. And he joins us on the line now from Munich, Germany. Hello, Jason. Hello, thanks for having me. You don't sound That's German. That's not a German accent. <laughs> Guten Tag. No, I'm uh, <laughs> Guten Tag, yeah. Guten I'm Tag, from New mate. Zealand. A Kiwi living in Munich. We will get to your story in just a moment, Jason. I do want to say, I'm sorry, Kev, that you didn't get to come on. I'm sorry, Steve Mark, who was the third person who applied for this week's Superfan Contest. But we are doing this again in future weeks. We've got more poker movies to discuss, so more opportunities to win, potentially, a €109 Barcelona satellite ticket and the much-coveted hoodie. That's what you will be playing for, Jason. Uh, So tell us, how did you end up in Munich? Um... I was living in London for a couple of years and went to the Oktoberfest and then met my now wife um, and she was uh, uh, at the beer fest wearing one of those German dresses, the Bavarian ones. And uh, these European women to me are kind of like exotic fruit. So <laughs> the rest is history. Was she carrying 16 litres of lager at the time, by any chance? <laughs> Fortunately, she can't carry quite that much because of the forearms for that yeah. <laughs> i think that's probably the first time a german girl's ever been referred to as fruit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a yeah. great story man i'm kind of jealous so you went to oktoberfest you got shit-faced and met a girl and then did you never leave again or you went back to london and then moved to germany yeah i went back to london and then we both went to new zealand um and lived there for four years and then last year we moved over here so trying out the what a heartwarming thing. story it makes me fucking sick <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. stop being so happy everyone 
So I'm interested to know, Jason, did you apply for this quiz and then track down the movie, or were you an existing fan of the movie who wanted to be on this show? Like, I like The Sting. It's a really good movie, um, but I wouldn't have been, you know, considering myself an expert in it before this, so I thought, oh, Okay, but you have rewatched it before today. Yeah, I don't know if that makes me prepared, but yes. Yeah. James, well, uh, this guy's this guy apparently watched a different movie called The Stang. Between <laughs> <laughs> The Sting. Oh no. Uh, okay, so bear in mind, Joe, you said that there should be no handicapping in this quiz, so it is yeah. going to be uh, level pegging. Uh, Matt, I know this is kind of a strange role reversal, but can you keep score, please? Oh, uh, yeah. I'll need. I'll, hang on a second. I'll need your pen. There wow, this go. is very exciting for me. And a piece of paper. I'm, I'm ready to go. So basically, the first round is called Next Lines. And basically, I'm going to say a line from the movie, and I want you to give me the response. If you nail it, spot on, 100%, two points. If you get it almost right, I'll give you one point. But bear in mind, I'm a hard taskmaster. <laughs> uh, Jason, because you are the superfan, pick a number, please, between one and four. Uh, I'll go for four. Number four. Here we go. So I want the next line. James, are there steals? Are there chances for steals no, or no? No stealing. Okay. So the next line, please, Jason. You're not going to stick around for your share? No, I would only blow it. For two points. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Joe, one to three. One, please. How much did you lose? Uh... All of it. Correct, for two points. Number two or number three, Jason? Uh, three. He's not as tough as he thinks. Neither are we. Correct, for two points. Which leaves you with number two, Joe. Your boss yeah. is quite a card player, Mr. Kelly. How does he do it? He cheats. Correct! Wow, we are four points. So that Joe, brings us on... Did you get a rewatch? I did. I watched it uh, like uh, three or four days ago, but I had a. I've been okay. drunk every day since. <laughs> <laughs> so that takes us to round number two, which is movie trivia, and there are bonus questions attached here. Uh, I'll give you a simple uh, offer here: odd or even, Jason. Even. Okay. Thanks. What excuse does Henry Gondorf use for being late to the poker game? Oh, uh, he, he says he was taking a crap. I knew you'd get that one because, of course, that was what you put in your tweet applying for this show. Yeah. That's just one point, by the way, Matt. These okay. are all worth one point each. Here is your bonus question. When okay. Gondorf wins with quad jacks, what is his kicker? It's multiple choice. The three of hearts, the six of hearts, the eight of hearts, or the ace of hearts? I think he has a six. It is a six for one point. And there is a bonus bonus. Yeesh. Oh, my gosh. How much does Lonergan end up owing Gondorf after the game? I think they say it's 15 grand. It is 15 grand. You are still full marks. You haven't dropped a point yet. So, Joe, you get the odd-numbered question. Are you ready? I am quite odd. <laughs> At the underground casino, how much does Hooker bet on red? $3,000. Correct. But what number comes up? 22 black. Correct. In which other classic movie does a rigged roulette wheel land on 22, two spins in a row? Fuck. I've not seen that one. And I know for a fact uh, that Joe has seen it. 
Once upon a time in the West. I'm afraid not. You can steal here for a point. Um, I would be guessing between like 21 or croupier. I think I would have to go with 21. I said classic movie. I don't regret <laughs> 21 to be a classic. It was Casablanca in Rick's casino oh. where he actually uh. does a solid for the young couple who are trying to escape and advises them to bet on 22, nods to the croupier who then allows them to win twice. Uh, right, that brings us to the next round. Uh, odd or even, Jason? Um, odd. I'm down one point now, is that the deal? Yeah, that's correct. It's seven plays against six. Okay, oh, close. Okay, Jason, you wanted the odd question, right? Yeah, yeah. What's the name of the assassin Lonergan hires to kill Hooker? One point for the first name, one point for the second name. Salino. For one point. Yes. Loretta Salino. Correct, for two points. Wow, and that was a good bit. I, that did fool me, that one, I must say. Yeah. Here's your bonus question. Why did director George Roy Hill have to fight for Demetra Arliss to get that role? Um, I think I read that she wasn't attractive enough, apparently. Correct. Universal executives didn't think she was pretty enough to be Robert Redford's love interest. One or two points for that. <laughs> One I point. Agree. Okay, yeah, I must say there was a distinct lack of attractive women throughout the entire production, I felt. <laughs> Hashtag everyday sexism. Joe, your question. <laughs> when it comes to the sting itself, what is the name of the horse that Lonergan is meant to back? Lucky Dan. Correct, for a point. Now, he mistakenly bets on Lucky Dan to win. Where does the horse actually finish? Second place. Correct. As we head into the final round, which is hashtag fun facts, I believe you are down one point, Joe. Indeed, still only one point between them. Woo! Okay, odd or even again, Jason? Um, evens. Okay, the even question regarding Robert Redford. He was nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role at the Academy Awards for this movie. How many Oscar nominations has Redford received since? Um, uh, there's no multiple choice on this. I'll give, you, I'll give you multiple choice. One, two, three, or four. Uh, I will go... Two? Oh, you were nearly said three there. Yeah. No, to be okay. fair, he kind of said three two. <laughs> can you name one? Can you name one of the films that he was nominated for? Um, all is lost. No. Mm. Now, can it, I name one just for uh, fun? You can for fun, I, but you're not going to steal. The Prince of Tides. Nope. <laughs> Oh, he's not even there. No, that's... <laughs> I'm an idiot. That's uh, really dumb. The Matrix? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for playing, Joe. Hold on. The Natural? No. Oh, hold on. Let's keep going. <laughs> Let's not. Let me tell you that actually, Robert Redford's nomination for The Sting is his only nomination as an actor. He was nominated for Best Director for Ordinary People, which he won, and he was also nominated for Best Director for Quiz Show and as the producer for Best Picture of the same movie. Ooh, facts. Hashtag fun facts. <laughs> Joe, your question. Producers Julia and Michael Phillips were responsible for two other Oscar-winning masterpieces of the 1970s. Which movies? Jaws. <laughs> no. <laughs> Why is that so funny? 
it was a good kid. It's another Universal Pictures masterpiece. Can you name um, another one? Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That was in the 60s. Do you happen to know either of the movies, Jason? No, I, I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> I would have no idea. Bearing in mind Back that this future. duo only produced three movies in the decade, they produced The Sting, Taxi Driver, and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Wow. You were close with Jaws. It was a Spielberg movie. Wrong Spielberg movie. And for the record, Joe, I didn't laugh at you. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a like, it's kind of like a habitual, you know, reaction from me. As soon as Joe says anything, I just laugh in case it's meant to be a joke. <laughs> so, Joe, if you get this question right, you tie the game and we go to the tiebreaker. No pressure. All right, these have, these have been... T Wait, no, that was just my question. I know, I'm saying if you get your bonus question right, however, oh, you tie question. the game, okay. yes. What is the name of Julia Phillips's scandalous autobiography? That's a book. Joe's never going to get that. Hold on, you mean like a thing you read with pages and stuff? Yeah, I, I think I showed you what they were a while back in the museum and you laughed. It made my skin crawl! <laughs> um... Jaws? <laughs> <laughs> See, it's funny. Her scandalous autobiography. Uh, the kid stays in the picture. That was Robert Evans. Just out of interest, do you know the answer to this one, Jason? Is it, you'll never eat lunch in this town again? It is, which means you actually win by two points rather wow. than one. Final scores verified, please, Matthew? Yes, I can tell you, Jason scored 10 and Joe scored 8. Congratulations, everybody. Well, it's the closest match we've had for a long, long time. But and I want to say something. Yes? I did not get a single question about the sting wrong. Yeah, I agree. I'm not a big fan of all the associated trivia because just because I've watched a film 20 times doesn't mean I know who's the director of photography. Always read the trivia on imdb.com because if we're doing a movie quiz, you know I'm going to go there. <laughs> Point is, congratulations, Jason. You've proved you're a super fan and you do get this week's bumper bonus prize of a 109 euro satellite ticket for the next leg of the Pokestars Championship in Barcelona. And of course, the Everyone Loves a Chop Pot hoodie. I'm super stoked. Thanks, guys. And sorry to Kev. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Kev. We all feel for Kev. All right, my babies, we're almost out of time for this week's show. Coming up next time, we're going to have another classic movie Monday. On a Thursday, because I think we're going to be recording a day later. <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> Whatever day I say it is, uh, we are going to do Casino Royale. Just to be clear, yeah. do not watch the 1967 version. Number one, because it's shit. For the love of God. Number two, because we won't be discussing it. We'll be <laughs> discussing the Daniel Craig version, 2006. And here's the deal. Please apply now to be the super fan. Hashtag poker in the ears. I'm not going to do it first come, first served. Everyone who applies between now and Monday, maybe Tuesday, we'll put you into the hat and we'll draw one at random. But please, if we do approach you on Twitter, and it will be at Pokestars TV that messages you directly, please respond. Because if you don't, we'll just pick someone else. And there will be another 109 euro Barcelona satellite ticket up for grabs Ooh. along with the coveted hoodie. Yeah, and if you want to, like, comment yourself, do see if we can beat our current record of one tweet. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, join in. This is a two-way thing, I guys. I do think this is a movie that more of our audience will have seen. And yeah. even if they haven't got the time to rewatch it, I'm sure they will share their opinions, especially on the infamous slow roll, multi-way showdown, the bluff... 
the hands in the Bahamas. There's so uh, much poker to I'm get gonna, into. I can't believe I'm going to have to watch that again. Again, I know it's a bit early, but my favourite bit is, is Bond tipping the dealer with a no-cash-value chip at the end. <laughs> Just what a, what a beautiful gesture that was. He's like, oh, thanks, I'll put this on my wall, dick. <laughs> <laughs> it can be used as a doorstopper. Okay, so next time, Classic Movie Monday, Casino Royale. Need a super fan. Probably lots of World Series of Poker news to go over by then. Daniel could have a bracelet. He's going to have a bracelet or a runner-up finish exactly. by the time we do our next show. And who knows what else is going to happen. And also, what do you think the chances are that I end up actually talking to Kevin Hart next week? I think they're looking pretty good. So, yeah, I think that we're doing some filming with Kevin Hart. And Joe's going to go down to the set. And hopefully we will have an interview with Mr. Kevin Hart on next week's show. It's going to be about two minutes of interview, 18 minutes of me asking Kevin for favors to like set me up with his agent, if he knows any booking guys at the comedy store. So, you know, I hope you guys are interested in that stuff. Now, worst case scenario, if that falls through, our last show before the summer break, so not next week, but the week after, so the week of like the 20th, 21st of June, that's when Daniel is going to be joining us. So whether he is a runner up or whether he is a bracelet winner this summer, he is going to be on the podcast in a couple of weeks time. Wow, what a great season-ending lineup we've got. Possibly Kevin Hart, definitely Daniel Negrano. For now, that is all the time we've got for this week's show. For James Hardigan and Matt Brown, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Smell you later.